Welcome to New Mommy at 40, a honest, informative, and non-judgmental podcast for those navigating to and through parenthood in their 40s. Hi friends, welcome to part two of our Black History Month and Valentine's Day special on Black maternal health, and I bring you this time my friend Tara Udovic. Her story is a cautionary tale for women everywhere, especially for women of color. After being single for many years and being asked why, she finally found her Prince Charming and together they decided to marry and start planning their family. Looking forward to the delivery of their rainbow baby, Tara and her husband entered the hospital anticipating what should be the happiest moment of their lives and instead found themselves in a nightmare. We'll talk about her delivery trauma and how she's turned her experience into a passion for helping women of color find their voices through their pregnancy and postpartum journey. It's my pleasure to introduce to you, Tara. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, as um, our friends heard in the intro, is that uh, you had also a very interesting birth story and also being a a woman of of a mature age for pregnancy anyway, and how difficult that that time was for you and how your advocacy really, I I feel, definitely saved your life. There was something that you mentioned in our, our initial conversations about having this chat, but you were saying about there are people in your life that questioned why you hadn't had a child yet at your age that I thought was interesting. So tell tell me about that. Yes. What was that about? Well, if you're a single woman, and I guess if you look where everybody says pretty, I guess social norm is that you must be married and have kids because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting the societal norms versus societal reality. <laughs> um, that's not happening. And sadly, a lot of us, we're in, we're in the same boat. We're getting married later. We either have careers or we're doing other things or it just didn't happen. Right. And for me, it didn't happen. I didn't know why it didn't happen. And people were like, why aren't you married? Well, if I knew, I would have done something about it. <laughs> right. I have no idea why. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I... It probably could have happened with some other people, so, but I'm looking at my life now. So did I, would I really want that person to be my child's daddy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I'm kind of glad it happened when it happened. I got married at 37, um, a mature bride, but I think that maturity helps because I had a better sense of who I, I am and uh, who I was at the time. I knew what I wanted. You know, we didn't have a, I guess, a whirlwind fairy tale kind of romance like Cinderella. We had, it was a very mature kind of um, well-mapped out kind of thing, I I should say. We were both going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it piqued each other's interest. It wasn't like, oh, I thought you cute. (laughs) All butterflies and and in the stomach, it was more like, okay, I'm too old for nonsense. So what do you got on layered cards on the table? Yes. <laughs> I found that that's the beauty too of dating later is that you, you mm-hmm. just, all the, it, it becomes what, what was um, part of charm and, and cuteness and all that stuff and getting to know someone just seemed like fluff all of a sudden. It just wasn't the meat and potatoes of what you really wanted to get to when it came to dating somebody. It was just like, okay, I know who I am. I now I definitely know who I am. 
who are you? Because you should know by now, especially if you're looking at also someone of that same age range or older. So it kind of cuts out all the extra fluff in the getting to know you part. You can just get down to business like, what what are your life goals? What are my life goals? How do they match? Can we help exactly. each other? Are we compatible? Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. The, but so I wanted to was... go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. No, 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 please. No, my mommy brain just forgot. Mm. So. <laughs> that is so real. It happens to me all the time. Um, no, I wanted to say. Do you find that as a black woman in our community, that that expectation is even higher for us to have had children and be married at this point? Even for me to have children at this point and not necessarily married, because I remember going to my OBGYN for my yearly physical and she was like, well, you need to hurry up and have some kids. I was like, well, I haven't found somebody. Well, you, you don't need to do that. Just hurry up and have some kids before it's too late. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> right. And that didn't match so, your life values, really, right? Because you would correct. have done that already. You know, I kind of decided before I even met my husband, I wanted off the wheel. And I said, I'm going to just do things for me and whatever happens, happens. And if people have a problem with me not being married or not having kids, that's their problem, not mine. And I'm just going to continue on. Yeah. I, and and that's I think that's the best way because the, the pressure of all of that is it's it's not good for anyone's soul, anyone's spirit. And they're not in your home. They don't know what your financial, I mean, never have I heard in addition to those conversations, make sure your bank account's right, honey, if you're gonna just go out and no. get these kids. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Exactly, if someone asked me, well, do you want kids? Right. It'd be different if they asked if you're like, do you want to be married? Do you want kids? You know, is this the path your life is heading? And I'll support you in that, li- in that path. Yeah. But People were more like, oh, something's wrong with you. Oh, you need to go out there and find somebody. Go on this website. Go on this app. Um, go to this place. Go to that place. It's like, and it's when I finally stopped doing <laughs> all of that and not pay attention to people. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to live my life and do me. That's when things started to happen. Isn't that true? That always seems to happen, yeah. right? So now that exactly. you're still... Your boyfriend, your husband's going to walk through that door. Five, four, three, two, boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So it's you- like, what do you call it? Being anxious for missing out. I forgot the term they use. It'll come to me later. Okay. Probably next, tomorrow. But <laughs> it'll come to me. But it's, it's like um, when you're picking a stock, and because people say, go get this stock, and you, and you just anxiously go get it, and it's the wrong thing, and then it tanks the next day, and you're like, oh, gosh, I'm out of all this money, because you were just being anxious and being driven. Right. And I think that's what a lot of us women who who want to find that kind of relationship, we get, we let people put this in desperate mode, mm-hmm. and we go looking like a chicken with our heads cut off, running from here to there, and we end up in a bad situation at the end of it, when we just need to just relax, chill, and then... Do what you're supposed to do. Concentrate on your purpose and destiny. And then the person who's supposed to come alongside you will come. Yeah. I married uh, somebody who was older, 13 years older than me. And um, he already had his life. And he already, we talked about it because he was like, well, you're young and you don't have any kids. And he said, it'd be unfair of me to want you to come into my life, be married to me, and I not 
except the fact that you might want kids and I'm going to have to start over. So he was like, well, I'm willing to do that because that will not be fair to you not give to not to give you the chance to have children. And he said, but you got the time limit on this. And when I turn this time, <laughs> you better have all the kids that you need because I can't do anymore after that. <laughs> That's a real sentiment, though. I mean, I get that. He, mm-hmm. he did have to start all over. Again, because what's yes. the big, what's the age difference between Leilani and his youngest, his his other youngest? At 19 or 19 years. years. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitely oh, 19, 18, yeah. So, yeah. so what mm-hmm. was pregnancy like for you? Pregnancy was scary for me. Um, because Leilani is actually a rainbow baby and I had had a miscarriage previously. So it was scary for me at first. And then, um, especially that first trimester was very rough. Yeah. It was always a worry. And then when I got to the second trimester, I was like, oh my God, I'm free. I can eat. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't eat pizza, which was, I was pretty mad about that for the whole I, I, it gave me such heartburn. Oh, I could not look she would have just had more sauce. hair. That's all. She just would have had more hair. <laughs> That's I what I hear. Smell it. <laughs> I crave pizza the whole time. That's probably why she likes pizza so much. And I, probably like a few a month after she was born, I went to the pizzeria and I said, "Give me a pie." And I would say the last trimester, it was good. It started to like nest and but then you know it was like okay it's time for you to go out because she was kicking this one rib that I swear has a bruise on the inside of me and I was like you is not she needs to go (laughs) so I can get some ease and go to sleep but um so I guess it was a mix I mean hair woman saying oh my pregnancy was so wonderful I, I can't I can't say it was so wonderful but the experience I will never give back but it was a i think is because of the worry yeah from having had the miscarriage that kind of took away some of that let me just relax Relax and and enjoy enjoy this time yeah i mean that that's real i mean i i feel a lot of people can uh relate to the anxiety that comes especially after having a miscarriage and then now with uh, a possible viable pregnancy you're worried. So that's a that's a very common uh, feeling. Yeah. So guide us through the delivery and, and what that was like for you. Because this is the part of the story that I feel it makes you catch yes. your breath a little bit. So <clears throat> I was sleeping on the couch because that's the only way I would get to sleep. And I had the best dream of my life. <laughs> I was floating and all of a sudden I was dragged back to earth with this pain that literally lifted me off. And now I was high risk, of course, because of my age and because of having a previous previous miscarriage. So I was walking around for about two or so weeks, five centimeters dilated. So by the time I we get through everything, I water broke before I even left the house. <laughs> and so we're going. I guess just get to the hospital, hoping hopefully my doctor or somebody I've seen in that practice, because it was one of those practices where you have multiple doctors 
And I thought I saw most of them, except I didn't see the one I got. <laughs> of course. I'm, I got there. I'm already seven centimeters dilated. So I only have a few more to go. And the doctor comes in, who I've never met, he, a male doctor. And he tells me, well, I don't want to be here all day. Now, this is 7 a.m. in the morning. He said what now? I don't want, he don't want to be here all day. So he's going to give me the drug to induce me. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize if everyone, anyone's ear just popped because I said that so loud. He like, we don't want to be, I was like, we're going to get induced because we don't want to be here all day. And I'm like, well, I'm already at seven centimeters. Yeah, but it's going to take too long. But I feel like if he had let me do it, because I heard that jug actually makes you, it makes it take longer. I was already doing fine by myself. Anyway. So I don't know what to say. In that practice, they had me fill out a lot of paperwork telling me, you know, how I would like to be delivered and all of that stuff. I filled out all that paperwork. Everything was out the door. Um, One of the requests I had was not to have me lay on my back for delivery because that induced panic attacks in me. And that's one thing he forced me to be on my back. So much so that I started to have a panic attack and I was like kicking and wildly like, you know, my husband and the nurse had to like try to hold me down because I was in full panic mode. Wait, so you went in, let's just review. Mm -hmm. You went in with a clear birth plan. What is like 101 recommended to most women who are giving birth to have a birth plan. You Correct. This bir- said birth plan was given to this practice. And the, the one doctor that you never met, because we do know that in family practices or in these types of practices, I should say, it is it is common for you not to get the actual doctor that you wished or you know could deliver you. They have been interacting with the most uh the most over yeah. the course of the pregnancy. But they he, this this doctor completely threw out your birth plan. Correct. Even okay. though I even had the, one of the nurses advocate for me to have, <clears throat> you know, it came to a point where they were like, would you want us to change your doctor? That's what it came down to. And it was just so much things going on. I'm in pain mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because I didn't have an epidural. But by the time... I was like, hey, I don't feel that bad right now. And I'm already here. I didn't realize that about them two <laughs> last centimeters, how much pain those were. Yeah. But I was like, okay, next time I understand. But um, yeah, I she was advocating for me to get me in a comfortable position and so forth. And he was like, okay, this is taking too long. I guess he had a golfing game. I don't know what it was. Unacceptable, just unacceptable. So exactly. who had to, so is this the same the same nurse that was advocating for you was she forced by the doctor to hold you down? No. Okay. That was a different one. Um the nurse who was advocating for me was actually kind of like I guess she was the um head nurse. She was the supervisor in charge and she was going around um the rooms and and trying to help me out. But it probably would have been a different story if it was my regular doctor who was great and wonderful. But 
I ended up picking the. She ended up picking the wrong day to get give birth, you know, to get born. So (laughs) no, I mean it's so it's so great of you, and I think also something that we as women, we as Black women, are very good at making other people feel good. I think Mm -hmm. just in women women as in general because we like to take care of everybody but what happened to you was horrible like you can yeah. just now but and, and it's probably the best way you can process that moment that you can never get back right but you yeah. were not taken care of you were not no. respected at all no he didn't listen to one thing that i said i i didn't know i felt when the baby came out well let me just say this. I felt him doing something down there. I didn't know what. And I said, what are you doing? He wouldn't answer me. I'm like, what are you doing? And he was actually cutting me <clears throat> without telling me he was cutting me. It'd be nice if he had said, okay, ma'am, because of the baby's head, I have to cut you. But my baby was small. She was like five pounds, 10 ounces. She was very small. So she, and her head was small, so I don't believe I needed to be cut. But he didn't even have the decency to explain that to me, that that's what he was doing down there. And I'm like, what is he doing? And my husband, he's nervous because he's seen the doctor doing things. He's thinking that something is wrong, and he's trying to get the baby out fast. He doesn't know what to do, and he's scared because he, he doesn't want, he's looking at, I got my wife here and my baby, and I don't want them to be in harm's way. And so he cuts me, the baby's delivered. I'm like, what's happening? He doesn't really talk to me. He does whatever. He's like, oh, you did that like a pro. You did it without any drugs. And then he left. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, wow. That, that's what happened. So it almost felt like, um, lack of a better description, like almost like a kind of rape. Well, you were violated. Like being yeah, without me being told, I'm asking questions to understand, you know, and I think like, doctors need to know, like, I, your patient is the person giving you the most information about what you're, what you're stepping into when you're dealing with a case. And I had my body for what, 30 and 40 years at that point, I know my body best. So if I'm telling you something, you know, then you should listen to me. I, a little, ant, little antidote before that. I was telling the nurse I had to make a bowel movement. Sorry, ladies, if this <laughs> disgusts you, but this happens no. when you are giving birth. This is real. We keep it way. real. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm telling her I have to make a bowel movement. She's like, no, that's the baby pressuring down. You're a first-time mother. You don't know. I'm like, yes, I know what I need. I, I need to make a bowel movement. And she was like, no. I said, okay, I'll give you the bedpan. I went and I made a bowel movement. And I told her, I know my body. So, and I told her again, she said, no, there's the pressure and another bowel movement. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm like, I don't want to be defecating while giving birth. And it <laughs> happens. Has, happens. It, it yeah, happens. it happens. But the fact <laughs> is that you knew that this was something that was a little different. You know what I mean? And it's like, what's the worst case scenario? Just bring me a bedpan. If it's the baby, exactly success. If it's a bowel movement, success. I mean, you know, just exactly. give me the bedpan. It's it's not that difficult to do. No, and it was just like I was. I felt like I was fighting everybody. Every every excuse was like, "Oh, you're a new mother. 
you're a new mom, you're newly pregnant, you're new this, you're new that, like without regarding the fact that I know my body, you know, and that's one thing my doctor that I did have, she understood that I understood my body because when I was 13 weeks, I'm telling her my babies, I could feel my baby move. And she's like, no, that's impossible. Usually 20 weeks. I'm like, I'm telling you at 13 weeks, I can feel the baby move. I know where the baby is. And I see the baby move because my stomach was pretty flat. And she was like, okay. So she put me on the table and I'm like, she couldn't find the baby's heart. I said, because you're looking in the wrong place. The baby's right here. Wow. And when she put it there, there was the heart. And I was like, yes, because I know my body. And after that, she never questions me when I'm saying this is happening or that's happening because she realized I'm very in tune with my body. So it was afterwards that was really where a lot more disrespect happened and where, you know, I almost basically lost my life for them not listening to me at the hospital. Okay. So I'm Mm -hmm. getting a little emotional listening to you because Because you're saying it's there's more of more disrespect, but I can't even Mm -hmm. understand how how already what what you had been through was already such a disrespect and a violation of your wishes, your body, your experience. That was so much for you to have to deal with at that time of bringing this this joy into your life. I'm so sorry that you went through that. Thank you. Yeah. Because I felt like I was robbed from really enjoying giving this beautiful moment yeah. of welcoming my daughter into the world. I welcomed her with a panic attack, basically. Did you, before we get to the other half of this experience, did you ever get a chance to speak to the practice and to the doctor that you did have to explain what happened to you? I didn't really get to, I talked to her a little bit about it, but at that point in time, I was half delirious because of the other situation that was happening. Um, which was more pressing at the time that I'm like, yeah, let, let's take care of this situation here. Yeah, you picked your battles. I just was, you know, I think part of this discussion, I'm sorry, this is just so mm. horrific. Part of the, the importance of this discussion is if someone had heard of this story, I've heard a story like this and not, not been able to hear your voice uh, and from your own mouth, they would have thought there must be something else that she had. I can't understand how someone could go through something like this. There's 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 got to be something missing. When discussions come up about black maternal experiences in this country, I feel like um, there's almost this disbelief of it can't be like birth. Giving birth can be difficult for anyone. But this What you are describing happens so often to people. This is a very important story for people to hear. I want to thank you for your honesty and and reliving this. So um, 
thank you because I, I'm sure this is this is difficult, but I, I really appreciate it. And I know our friends who are listening to this too really appreciate your candor. So, You're so welcome. now- I mean, I want other people to know about it so they can help yeah. themselves. Yeah. And also I want to take a moment to, to acknowledge the role of your husband in that, in that room as someone who loves you, who loves you so dearly, who has had other children, right? And he's in this, he's in this space, totally un, unable to help you, which is what a partner wants to do, especially men, they want to solve. And I can only, I can only imagine how difficult this was for him to watch you going through this and unable to help you or his baby in a manner yes. that would, you know, that would make a difference and, uh, and having this doctor violate you in this way. It, I'm sure this was really difficult for both of you. So I want to acknowledge his pain and suffering yes. too, as your partner. Whew. Okay. So Leilani's here. Um, yes. Did you get to hold her right away? Yes, I got to hold her, um, which was lovely, which was nice. And then, you know, they had to take her from me because she had a little jaundice. So they just gave her some light therapy, which worked fabulous. And um, we rolled back into my room and I got to rest. So I, they took, kept coming into my room, taking my blood pressure but they wouldn't tell me what my blood pressure was. Okay. Because my blood pressure is pretty low, usually normally low, even when throughout my pregnancy it was low. It was like, it didn't even hit 100, the, um, the top number. It was over like 90, over 60 something. It was always low. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. So I like, oh, your blood pressure is good. And they, they kept going out. I had this woman keep forcing me to breastfeed. And I was very tired which I didn't understand why I was so tired, but it's like, oh, it's because you're a new mother, but it didn't, it felt weird. Okay. So I was like, okay. And I'm breastfeeding, breastfeeding, trying to breastfeed, but nothing's coming. And it was like, it was almost to the point where it seemed like she was yelling at me, like, you better breastfeed. And I'm like, well, then get the baby formula. <laughs> I'm like, if nothing's coming, give her food. I mean, and, you know, that was a, in itself was a whole nother pressure. I'm like, just give the baby food then. If, right. if I'm not producing enough milk, I, it hasn't come in yet. What am I supposed to do? Right. So um, that was interesting. And so I would say on the Friday, I noticed a lot of swelling. And so when it came to take my blood pressure, I was like, um, my legs and um, the incision that the doctor made doesn't feel right and they were like oh it's because you had gave na birth naturally it'll go down i'm like okay so i'm continuing to do what they tell me to do to wash myself and trying to pump and breastfeed and and wake up every night because they have the baby right next to me and she has baby low jack on her leg and stuff and so i'm like okay and so it I, um, I gave birth on the Thursday on Saturday morning. Now they want to discharge me. Now I saw the doctor that Friday night and I also told the doctor, Hey, this doesn't look right. This is a different doctor. I've seen her before, but she and I wasn't as close as the doctor I usually saw. That was my primary OBGYN. 
And she was like, oh, that's normal. She didn't even look at it. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I'm like, okay. So I get out. I'm getting ready to go. I can barely put my clothes on because my legs are twice the size that they've been. Now, my pregnancy was strange for the fact that I didn't gain that much weight in my pregnancy. because the first I was just throwing up, or I was not feeling well, I didn't want to eat. You know, it was just really bad. The second part is probably where I gained some weight, but I gained weight and I lost. But at the end of the day, I ended up when I gave birth, I was less, I weighed less. Oh, wow. Than when I started. <laughs> when I, before I was pregnant, I weighed less than that. So, so now for my legs to be, I can't get in my clothes because my legs are now swollen twice their size. I'm like, okay, this is not right. So I, before I'm like, Hey, can you call the doctor or somebody to come check me out? Because something's not right. Because not only are my legs swollen, the incision is swollen. So it looks like I have four lips in my vaginal area. Right. I'm like, so I'm like, something's not right. Oh, that's just normal because you gave birth naturally. Okay. So now we put the baby in the car. I'm trying now to sit in the car seat. It's painful. And everybody's telling me, oh, just take some time and all, you'll be fine. It's just a swelling from giving birth naturally. I'm like, okay. So Sunday comes around, I'm in pain all day. I can't do anything for the baby, really. I can barely like breastfeed or do anything because I'm in a lot of pain. And I said, babe, we need to go to the doctor early in the morning. Now, we had an appointment for our baby in that, that afternoon. But I was like, before we do that, we need to go see my doctor. She needs to see me. So I get into the doctor's office. I can barely walk. He has to help me out the car. I can barely move. Get into the office. They had me cut the line, I guess, from patients who were there because they saw that I I can't even sit in the waiting room. And the doctor looks at me. She said, okay, something's not right. And she said, what happened in in the office? And I told her, you know, everything is swollen. And she t- now she's the first one, the first doctor, while I was in the hospital for three days, who actually looks at me. And she says, I, she doesn't want to say anything because these are also her co-workers, <laughs> mind you. But I can see on her face the communication. She's like, okay, let me draw some blood. She draws blood and she says, I'm going to give you, she had to give me codeine or something for me to walk out because I'm, now I'm crying in the in the room because I'm in so much pain because I cannot sit. I cannot sit. And so I'm there getting blood drawn and the woman looking at me and I'm just bawling because I'm in so much pain. So we get the, she had some things. She gave me a shot to give me some kind of relief. We got some of the drugs that she prescribed, went to my baby's doctor's appointment, which was across, which was another town over. And I had to be in the wheelchair delusional because now these drugs are making me loopy and I cannot walk in the hospital. They're pushing me all over the hospital with the baby. So seven o'clock that night, my doctor calls me, which I was like, this is an interesting call. She doesn't call me this late. And she's like, you need to come to the hospital right now. Pack a bag. You're going to be here for some days. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, I'm like, why? She says, your blood pressure is this, this, this high. Now, 
then she told me like they told me afterwards the blood pressures were having before. I said, like, if y'all had told me the blood pressures before, I would have told you my something's wrong because my blood pressure is going up even though it's in normal range, but that's not normal for me. So when I got to the hospital, she told me, you have help syndrome. What Can you say that is, one more time? Um, what is it? Help syndrome. Help syndrome. I mean, which is hemolysis, elevated liver enzyme, and low platelets syndrome. And it's a life-threatening complication, which usually happens during preeclampsia. And the only way to solve it is to deliver a baby. But I had already delivered mine. So now I'm in this life-threatening situation. And basically, they put me in the hospital three days trying to stop me from having a seizure or stroke. Wow. And... um, if I hadn't been insistent, because even, you know, family members were telling me, well, you know, this is your first baby. And I was like, no, something is not right. Something is wrong. I'm, I don't care what anybody's saying. Monday morning, I will be in that doctor's office. And good thing we had that rapport where she knew if I'm telling her something to believe me that she had the sense to take my blood. Now, if they had to can take my blood in the hospital, they would have never released me from the hospital, which they shouldn't have. Well, Tara, so that's there, not I the was... only reason why they shouldn't have let you. Just in you saying something's wrong, saying that the pain mm-hmm. was unbearable, they had plenty of opportunity to actually look at the incision to see. Maybe they wouldn't have known that it was this help syndrome, but they would have at least seen that that's not normal. The other doctor from the practice that you had seen in passing could have looked at it, could have done the same. I mean, there are lots of opportunities here Mm -hmm. where someone could have done something to prevent you having to go home and be readmitted into the hospital. Mm -hmm. So So. now you you head to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then... And I basically have to give my baby to my my sister-in-law and my niece, my husband's um, niece, and say, listen, I don't know what's going to happen because you hear about women not coming back (laughs) all the time. And I'm like, you know, take care of her, you know? And I give them my my daughter. And they look at me like, you know, it was just a weird silence. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I can say. How did you find the? How did you find? Where did you find the strength to even uh, to to do that? When you gave Lilani to them, it was clear that from what you're saying is that you had a feeling that this could go either way. Where did you find the strength to to give her to them? Uh, with that much grace, with that on your mind and your heart? No, it just had to be my my faith, my faith and belief. And that I'm like, I believe that this child will live and, and do well. And it, no matter what, she has to. And so I, I, I did what I thought you know, any mother would do <laughs> in that situation. Whereas like you give her, you give, put her in the good hand, them in good hands and like, listen, take care of my child. And it didn't have to be said. Then you take care of my child. 
Right. And that they were going to do their best with in, in conjunction with your husband to raise this baby mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. you, if that was the outcome. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tara. So. So you 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 walk into the hospital, your husband is with you. Yes. And before they even give me a room. They are already, they put me in the back and they start dumping the, um, it's a magnesium mixture into my body. They're dumping bags of it to make sure that I don't go into anything, having a seizure or having a stroke, which was good because my doctor was right there when I, when I came to triage, she was right there and she was, she was like, take, immediately take her to the back. So that was that was the good part and it was good having her there so she knew me i knew her and i felt like we were a team we were in sync and so that was the best experience i had in this in those six days (laughs) right what what are you enjoying about being a mother in your 40s to leilani specifically like what are you what are you enjoying well, I, I would say that Leilani is an award-winning academy, award-winning, I should say, actress. <laughs> she she is a performer. And I guess if I was younger, I probably wouldn't appreciate her brilliance hmm. with that. Like the things she, little things she does, like how did you put those things together? And she loves to like sing and perform. She does stuff on beat. I, I think... If I was younger, I probably would not have noticed all these little things that she does. Even like the other day, she comes up to me. No, I I call her on her phone. No, she calls me from her tablet (laughs) on my phone. And she's like, welcome to my episode. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, where'd she get that from? Welcome to my episode. My name is Leilani. I'm like, okay. Hi, I'm your mother. (laughs) I play along. And she has a, such a, a, a magnificent um, imagination. And she, you know, she'll come and tell me, "Ami, this is just pretend." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> it's just pretend. Aww. I got you." I loved when we were getting ready for this chat that you mentioned is that you, you, your story, and your uh, experience in motherhood so far has really made you passionate about maternal health. And advocacy specifically, and also how your partner can play a role in the in the room with you. Um, tell me more about that. Tell us more about that. Well, I think I would, in terms of advocacy for yourself, getting a team, understanding your OBGYN office, and making sure you know who that doctor on call could be. Um, and that they understand you as well. And I think learning as much as possible about, you don't have to be a doctor, but you can learn about your body. You can learn about the symptoms going through. And there's one thing that uh, a mentor of mine told me when she found out I was pregnant and um, when I had my first miscarriage, I've had others after that, um, was that she was, sat me down. She was like, Tara, pregnancy is the most dangerous thing a woman can do. She said, it's wonderful, but it's the most dangerous thing you can do. And I know some women, they just want to think about the good stuff 
right? But you don't, you can know that the bad stuff is there and not dwell on it and still have a positive experience. You, you should know if your blood pressure is going up. You should know if your urine smells different. You mm-hmm. should know if you see, you know, spotting or if, you know, what your blood pressure should be, the range it should be. You don't have to, to know everything. And, you know, thank God I watch certain videos. My family is in the medical vision. I think exactly. it is important to to be informed so that if something should happen out of the ordinary or feel that you are in tune and that you are in, in a place to trust your intuition and your gut, yeah. what you say? And that's an, exactly. And that's another thing I would tell anybody about advocating for yourself. Don't care how stupid you look. It doesn't matter. Uh, you don't you know, feel like you want to inconvenience someone. No, inconvenience them and demand to be looked at. Even if it's something and you look like a hypochondriac or whatever, it's okay because you're still walking. You're still alive and you could take care of your child. And I think about there was a woman, a young lady. She, she didn't want to go to the hospital for whatever reason. And she ended up passing away. And her mother had to end up raising her child because, you know, she had high blood pressure. She had just given birth, a, a black woman. And so I'm like, we need to stop thinking like that. We have to like, it, it doesn't matter if I look a fool. I'd rather be a live fool than a dead one. Yeah. I'm going to make as much noise as possible. And also, I think for my husband or other husbands out there or other partners out there, you don't need to be a doctor either, but you should know something about what the person could go through or what they could be experiencing. If you see something wrong, hey, your ankles are a little swollen today, you should be paying attention to those. Understanding, just being in tune with each other and, this, and, and then asking the doctor, what are you doing? Backing yeah. up your partner like, hey, she asked, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, I know now my husband knows because he's experienced it, um, but... If we do over again, it'd be a whole different situation. It's like, yo, you're not doing that. You're going to have to explain to us why you're doing that. And if that doctor is worth anything, then they will answer you. And if not, don't be afraid to get rid of that doctor and say, you know what? I think we need a new doctor. If there's anything that you would want Leilani to know about her birth story, what is it that you would want her to know? What I would want her to know is that she was worth fighting for. So it, it, it didn't matter what was going to happen. I was going to fight to spend one more day with her. <laughs> hmm. That's beautiful. It's better to look like a fool in front of the doctor and get it wrong than to be, you know, suffering later. And you may not have the story of coming back. You know, we don't want to think that way, but it's, I'd rather look like a fool now. oh tara again thank you so much for sharing your story it still gives me goosebumps whenever i hear about what you went through and i'm so glad that you followed your intuition i hope our audience today our friends here at new mommy and 40 take the stories of these two women and help each other help each other as women as parents to make sure that we never ever hear of a situation like this happening again, where someone feels unsafe, violated, disrespected, and unimportant. Tune in next week for another episode, and don't forget to subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this, and take care of yourselves and each other.